What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the, oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13. May be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Forever. Dog. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first weekend at Bergman's double feature, folks. It's a double feature kind of week here at the double feature. We're giving you two episodes of weekend at Bergman's, but this one, the double feature, it's a little bit different. All right. This is one when we go to the movies. I'll be flying solo this week, but very excited that you're here to talk about two films that I saw this week in a double feature. Um, I saw Top Gun Maverick and I saw Crimes of the Future back to back. And yes, I did take an intermission. And yes, I did eat at Margaritaville on CityWalk. And yes, I did spend $66.82. I feel like I'm the kid in uh, Wet Hot American Summer right now, just broadcasting to no one. But I know that you're there, my Weekend at Bergman uh, listeners, and I love you for it. So excited to talk about these two films, both bangers, in my opinion. We'll bore into it. We'll get into it a little bit. Do you miss Brett? I miss Brett too, you know, but Brett was in Chicago this weekend. No problem at all. I went to the movie Solo, one of the great uh, ways to spend your time. I love going to the movie Solo, and I've done it so, so many times. I am, folks, an AMC Stubbs Gold member, and no, they do not sponsor the podcast, but they do a thing, much like Movie Pass, if you remember movie fans. Um, $20 a week. Or excuse me, twenty dollars a month. You can see up to three movies a week in IMAX, 3D, whatever floats your boat. You can go to the movies anytime, prime time, eleven a.m. Whatever serves you, that's great. Now, where did I see my movies, folks? In Los Angeles, California. If you drive on up those Hollywood hills and go on over yonder into the valley, you reach a magical little place that we like to call Universal City, which was actually built. I'm not Brett here. I'm not going to be the historian guy, but they built Universal. City in the in the before the golden era really of film production they built Universal City in the 1910s 1920s ish and that's where a lot of production was starting up in Burbank right it was outside of LA a little bit there was a little cheaper more more space and that's where Universal set up shop now today that part of town is called Studio City and uh, that's where the theme park is and that's where you know some offices are but what's also there is you know like downtown Disney where it's a bunch of shops next to Disney World Universal's response to downtown Disney, of course, being CityWalk. Uh, so I moseyed my way down to CityWalk. There you got it all. You got your Blaze Pizza. You got your gigantic Starbucks. You got your Bubba Gump Shrimp. You got your Taco Bell. You got your It's Sweet Candy Shop. You got your, you know, Dodgers Clubhouse, $50 for a 
for a fitted hat these days, folks. $50 for a fitted hat. So I made my way to City Walk, where my favorite movie theater in Los Angeles is because, say it with me, folks, I'm Philly trash. I'm Philly trash. There's a big AMC there. I love it. I go there often. And this week I was really excited because I was flying solo, which is very nice. A moment for solitude, introspection, and quiet surrounded by just tens of thousands of families brimming with COVID-19. And you can go there and you can see uh, the movies. I saw a movie that everybody was chatting me up about. I'm sure your friends are chatting you up about it too. Top Gun Maverick. Um, and like I said, Cronenberg's new film, Crimes of the Future, which came out 45 seconds after uh, Cannes, which is great because I was like chomping at the bit to see the film. Um, so I know what a lot of you are wondering, Joe, just because it's double feature doesn't mean it's not Weekend at Bergman's. Are you going to, you know, what we do on Weekend at Bergman's? And I realize now, no, I'm not going to. This is it. This is my double feature week. I'm not singing the theme song, folks. Forget the theme song. I'll just tell you the plot of the podcast. Usually on this podcast, we watch two films. We watch an art house flick and we watch a popcorn flick. And then we put one in the canon and we put one in the trash canon. And the movie that goes in the trash canon can ne'er be viewed again by me and my partner, Brett. This week, I'll just be telling Brett what movie he can never see as long as he lives. He's an honorable man. He honors the trash canon. He knows if I put something in there, he can trust me. <laughs> so should I make Brett never see the new Top Gun, which he's looking forward to, or the new Cronenberg, which he's also looking forward to? And that's one way to play it, but that's not what we do here. We are honest on Weekend at Bergman's, and I'm going to be honest with you. Which movie did I like better? Uh, before we jump right in, I want you to know, I uh, Brett's not here, but I'm not flying solo. Mm -mm. I have my co-pilot here, our trusted producer, and my literal brother-in-law, Brian Hevron-Smith is here. Hello, Brian. Hey, Joe. Brian, have you seen Top Gun Maverick? No, I haven't yet. Have you checked out Crimes of the Future? No, I haven't. All right, folks. Well, I'm flying co-pilot, but that's <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> but I'm, I'm here to support in any other yeah. ways you need. Oh, I love that, and I, I appreciate that. So, um, listeners of the podcast, this week, Brett and I were talking about Pi. We're talking about The Matrix, and we'll, you know, we'll see if those uh, influence us at all. You know, in this conversation, I like to make sure that all my movies are talking to each other at all times. So, if you hear a little bit there, go ahead and check out our main episode this week if you haven't already, where we watched the movies uh, Pi, Aronofsky's Pi, and uh, the 1999 classic, uh, The Matrix. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So, let's get into it. Top Gun Maverick. No, no place to start, like just jumping in. Everyone was texting me all week long. All my friends were texting me. Ah, oh, Joe, America's back. The movies are back. Uh, men is back. Men are back. And I was like, all right, all right, let's go see what the fuck everybody's chattering about on my fucking phone. I get into the movie theater, I sit down, I am ready to go, and I'm in IMAX. It's got the surround system. When the first big-ass plane roared over my head and Danger Zone started blaring, who am I? to not immediately get 1,000% on board, right? I am immediately on board. I was immediately enchanted um, because this movie was, let's start with movies. Tom Cruise, Jerry Bruckheimer, and director director Joseph Kaczynski from Tron and from Oblivion, they remember what was great about the movies. They remember what was great about Jaws. They remember what was great about Pirates of the Caribbean. One and two, okay. And they remember what makes people put their butts in the seats. This was getting a lot of, you know, like a lot of movies, I guess. But, you know, this is the back from COVID movie. Again, I understand. But really, and as a guy who went to the movies on City Walk, let me tell you, it's really the COVID was over movie. Absolutely packed. Maskless. Uh, to a man and everybody in Hollywood, California, just uh, gorging themselves on Tom Cruise's Top Gun Maverick. A little bit about the film. What is it about, folks? In this one, Captain Pete Mitchell is summoned back to Top Gun to do a mission. And uh, one of the hard parts is he has to make all these hard scrabble. Oh, so, and, you know, he has, he has a team of kids. All the best flyers in the world are on his team, one of whom is Miles Teller, who we'll get to later in this podcast and is who I am dressed as today. To all our Forever Dog Plus subscribers, I am honoring the great and powerful Miles Teller. Um, it's the Miles Teller plays the son of his best friend from Top Gun who died, um, and they he doesn't trust him because Tom Cruise was never honest about you know, what really happened and why this, but then he earns his trust and he gets the whole team together and they all pull off the fucking thing with the plum and they save the day and he, you know, sleeps with Jennifer Connelly. Um, and that's the plot of Top Gun Maverick. Brian, does that strike your fancy at all? Yeah, yeah, I'd see that. Okay, cool. Do um, I need to have seen the first one? No. Great. Absolutely not. Um. People will say, yeah, because then you'll sometimes they, you know, this scene is like a mirror image to the others. Who gives a fucking shit? Tom Cruise certainly doesn't. Nobody in this film cares about Top Gun 1. Sure, they they have Top Gun 1 things in it. But even if you didn't watch Top Gun 1, you can just sort of like guess what all the Top Gun 1 things are. It's like when they pull the old plane out at the end and fly it around, you know, you're going to go. Oh, I guess that was the the plane from from the original Top Gun, probably one of those things. No big deal. It's certainly it's not a sequel. It's just like Top Gun again, but this time Tom Cruise is sixty and he has some things to say, and he has things to say to Hollywood. He has things to say to America, and whether you like it or not, he has some things to say to the men of this country who do need a talking to. 
Okay. And that's what, that's what he delivers in, in this film. Um, you'll understand what I mean, obviously like, you know, I don't want to do a thing where it's like, Oh, uh, you know, obviously I despise toxic masculinity. Obviously men got issues at the watch. I just want to spend all day talking about on the podcast where I just feel like we get a Bergman's we're all simpatico, right? Like we all know where we're coming from. Okay. Um, obviously all that stuff's trash, but there are some interesting kernels here about how masculinity functions in this film that are literally of note and important. Um, so, my main takeaway from Top Gun Maverick was that this whole sort of notion, the lots, everything in our media nowadays plays on nostalgia. That's like the whole fucking kit and caboodle. So why does this piece of nostalgia work so well as a film? Why does this movie work so well as a movie? Um, it's because, is it because it isn't nostalgic at all? No, no. It's core... Um, the heart of this film is about nostalgia, but I think it's because this film does what other pieces of nostalgia garbage don't do. Uh, this film commits. This film does not apologize for its nostalgia. It doesn't apologize for using certain genre tropes. It doesn't apologize for who it casts. It doesn't apologize what this film believes in. This film, because it's you know produced by psychopath Tom Cruise, who we all love, is so deeply, deeply, deeply committed to the ideals of the film and the care and attention to create a truly cinematic, exciting, and nostalgic experience is um, nostalgia as craftsmanship, nostalgia as high art. This film's not afraid to be nostalgic. It doesn't wink it doesn't apologize for it. It doesn't make little comments like, hey, isn't that from the first Top Gun? Or like, where, where have you been? It just fucking 150% uh, commits. Let's get into some of the details of the film. Um, let's start with Val Kilmer. There's a scene in the film where Val Kilmer plays Ice. You know, Val Kilmer's old. Val Kilmer's had a stroke. Val, Val Kilmer... Um, obviously should still be in movies, but you wouldn't expect anybody to cast him because the poor guy has suffered a stroke and it's made his, uh, m you know, movement and, and speech limited, but they, they write him an absolute, uh, banger of a scene. He's the guy who believes in Maverick, despite what everybody else in the film is sort of telling him because Maverick's doing his thing. He's Maverick, you know, he's. He's not listening to John Hamm's rules, okay? He is going his own way. He is doing what he believes in. And Val Kilmer's character, Ice, his whole thing in this film is, you know, the Navy still needs that. It still needs uh, it still needs a little maverick, which was kind of my takeaway too. I think that every I think that we need a little tiny dash of maverick sometimes, right? But Val Kilmer uh, does this scene. He does it admirably. He's bringing tears to everybody in the theater's eyes. Everybody in the theater is 1,000% bought in, by the way. And they're bringing, you know, everyone's sort of like crying and sniffling around me as Val Kilmer gives this sort of like emotional scene. He gives like a great performance despite, uh, you know, his stroke or his physical whatever limitations or whatever. Um, this is great performance and it's so powerful and it's so resonant and it's so emotional and it's just like, 
it's another uh, node on the chain, another link of the chain of crews understanding what makes movies great. So we have the roaring airplanes. We have like the the him physically pushing himself to the limit. We have him reaching like Mach 10. We have the right like story structure. We have the music. We have all you know the smells and he is just delivering movie, 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 movie. But what else did like the capital M, like the movies when we made movie movies, what else did they have? Big hearts. Kilmer has a big heart scene. Everybody's crying. And what was so special about it, speaking about nostalgia, it's like, well, who cares? There's lots of cameos and lots of movies where like, oh, there's, you know, there's Jamie Lee Curtis in the Halloween reboot, who I love. And, you know, it's like, okay, okay. So why is this Kilmer scene? That's maybe, you know, there's tons of cameos, but the old guy comes back to do the thing one more time. It's like in every fucking movie. Now the Jurassic World is coming out this weekend. You know, you can, you can go see, you know, Laura Dern do Jurassic Park again if you want. And I'm sure, you know, it's not good, right? But this one really matters because Cruz didn't have to put Val Kilmer in this film. But he knows that people love Val Kilmer. They don't care what Val Kilmer sounds like or looks like. They want to see Val Kilmer. They want to see him well. They want to say goodbye. Um, and Cruz is honoring somebody, a hero, who fought with him along the way. Everything that happens to Maverick in this movie is obviously mapped onto Tom Cruise and his weird little life and what he thinks of his life and all that. But despite that, the scene is killer. It's great to see Kilmer. I love him. I hope he's well. And Cruise gave us all like a moment to spend with Val Kilmer at the end. I'm not saying he's going to die anytime soon, but I'm not sure we're going to see him in a ton of movies anymore. So I thought that moment was really nice. And this movie, we'll get to why people hate this movie or want to hate this movie. It's military connotations that the Pentagon wrote it. So what? The CIA wrote fucking, uh, what's that movie that I've, uh, Zero Dark Thirty. It's the best movie ever. And the Pentagon wrote this one and they wrote a banger. Um, but Kilmer isn't really the one who steals the show. And Cruz isn't really the one who steals the show. There is a gentleman, though, who does steal this show, folks. Um, he steals it in no uncertain terms. He steals it... Um, with a passion, he picks up the football that Tom Cruise laterals to him and he runs it 150 yards down the fucking field to score a few touchdowns at once. And this gentleman's name, and he does hail from the great city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, is the one and only Miles Teller. Miles Teller is back. Miles Teller is back. Miles Teller is back. Miles Teller is back. And Miles Teller is here to stay. Miles Teller had a really rocky jump out of the gate. Yes, he had whiplash. He had a couple winners. He's obviously good at acting. But boy, oh boy, did he get fantastic forward. And then he got profiled. And, you know, Teller's a weird little boy. And he ran his weird little mouth in the profile. And that was fucking daiquiris for Teller. But, folks, there is more to the story. Because as Tom Cruise very well knows... There is nothing that this country loves more than a motherfucking comeback. And guess what? I guess I, you know, I am who I am. And you love to see a Philly boy win. And Miles Teller wins. Miles Teller in this film, first of all, he, I have a mustache now. I have a mustache. I have a mustache for one reason. It's because Miles Teller had a mustache in Top Gun Maverick. Now, you might be saying, but Joe, you had a mustache before you saw the film. That's right, because the mustache was so good 
in the trailer that I knew. I knew right then and there. But I didn't know that Teller was going to be saved. So in this film, Teller plays Rooster, the son of, I forget, what who gives a shit, you know, Cruz's best friend from Top Gun 1. Uh, and Tom Cruise is worried, Maverick. Pete is Pete Mitchell is worried the whole time because he Top Gun <laughs> just call just call Maverick Top Gun. Top Gun threw away Miles Teller's application to flight school or whatever the Navy or he didn't submit him good, so he delayed his career by three or four years by not submitting him. And Miles Teller held that against him all these years. And in the film, you do learn that Maverick did that because it was, you know, Miles Teller's mother's dying wish or whatever. Um, And they do form a bond and they work together at the end, obviously, to overcome all these challenges and save the world together because this is a movie and it it works gangbusters. But from the second Teller shows up on screen, you're just like, wait, 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 wait. But because the whole time you're like, I thought Teller fucking sucks. Wait, Teller's bad. I don't like Teller. Teller has no swag. Teller has no 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 where to go. He's isn't he a weirdo? Isn't he a, a war dog? Uh, what are we what are we you know, I don't know what are we doing with Teller? The answer to what we're doing with Teller is we're putting him in every fucking movie um until the day he dies. He is the prince who was promised and he has come back um to life. He Performs a comeback of legendary proportions in this film, and I don't think I'm over. I'm overselling it, and I don't think it's uh, too much to say that in this film, Miles Teller serves this country more admirably than than a thousand soldiers that have, that have served this country. And I don't think that's putting it uh, too too harshly. Um, first of all, the man, he's like, yeah, he's ripped. Everybody in the film is ripped. The film is just just boys looking fucking good, right? The the boys look good in this film. Um, but Teller and his body are doing something extraordinary in the film. <laughs> it's not just abs. He's not like a square. He's like a he's like a triangle, but the triangle is like infused with personality. It's not one of these sad, oh my gosh, this guy needs to eat something triangles. He has a, a triangle, but he's he's getting there via some some strange sort of uh, you know uh, method that is ultimately ups the sex quotient uh, tremendously. And we will talk about a lot of sex quotient in this film when we get to talking about crimes. And we'll talk about sex in this movie, Top Gun 2. But Teller is bringing the sex. He looks fucking good as shit. He has the mustache. He, he, when he walks in, there's this like dirty little seaside-esque, you know, Navy bar that, you know, Jennifer Connelly's like the only waiter who works there and she owns the joint. And it's packed. Um, and, you know, she gives Tom Cruise guff and it's like hot, hot, hot. And then Miles Teller walks in and Cruise is like, oh, there's Miles Teller. So he he gets in a fight immediately with um, a hot guy who I'm obsessed with, who I'm blanking on his name. I'm so sorry, folks. You know, the, the extraordinarily if Brett was here, he would he would help me remind me. But he's not here. He's not here. We miss him. There's some other hot guy who, you know, who's going to be in a lot of oh, Powell. So, uh, you know, gets in a fight with Powell. Okay, that's pretty cool. And he like stands up for himself or whatever. And I'm like, okay, acting. Okay, I like it. But then he sits down at the piano with that mustache and a shirt, you know, not, you know, sort of like this. And his 
cool little haircut and he starts doing you know great balls of fire on the piano and the whole bar starts singing or whatever and it's like it is a swaggy rendition and tellers selling 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 and i am enchanted I'm like well, holy fucking shit wait is teller fucking back and he's and he's, he's slain you know and everyone's dancing and everyone's laughing and jennifer connelly's ringing the bell and tom cruise is paying for a round and 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 teller singing and i'm like wait is teller the fucking prince who was promised Uh, he is moving on this movie. It, get, get, it has a criticism. I'll give a criticism from the outside and I'll give a personal criticism. The outside criticism is, you know, oh, I'm, I'm going to be a little flippant here, but I hope you go with me on this one. The outside criticism is that this is a piece of um, military propaganda. Okay. And, you know, because, because it is, but, but it is, I wonder, I just want to say, like, as far as military propaganda goes, this one has a little bit more than your average fare. I'd say a lot more. A criticism that got passed around the internet out of Jacobin magazine, which I love, was that here we go again. Here's another piece of military propaganda. This is total trash. It's offensive. I hate it. It stinks. It shouldn't be allowed to be around. For number one thing, every fucking movie is Hollywood American propaganda. Everyone knows. Like, it's like, okay, it's in the, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this movie is in, has a spirit to it that was really nice to spend time with. Sort of akin, you know, because this movie's about, it's not about individual achievement. This movie is about teamwork. And that's where I'd push back on, yeah, is it military propaganda? Yeah, whatever. So what? So it's fucking, you know, football, baseball, everything you do is military. You play a video game, it's military propaganda. You want to watch a movie, it's military propaganda. Watch the Avengers, watch whatever the fuck you want. It's military propaganda. Okay. Now that we're, now, got it. Thanks. But this movie, like, is not about some random radical guy who's so good and smart and cool that he can save the day by just, you know, good lone wolfing it. This is about making a team and building a community and pushing yourselves to your limits that you didn't even know that you had. And if part of you is like, oh, that doesn't sound good, I think that we can also uh, remind ourselves that sometimes that is good. Being pushed to your limits by somebody else when you don't want to be, bad. Having the discipline to challenge yourself to push yourself to some interesting limits and go places that you did not know you can go is one of the most rewarding experiences that you can have in this life. So basically, because I've really felt uh, excited by this movie and I felt really nice, I really thought it was about teamwork. And I really felt like this whole concept of like, if we work together, we can find things out about ourselves that we didn't even know. You know, I don't know. I get it. It's not, you know, you know, some radical work of you know socialist theory but as far as like popcorn fare in america goes i thought i had some really really nice messages especially as this country is completely and totally falling into the sea completely and totally falling into the sea but i think that as we're on our way out as everything's ending and just sort of wrapping up here in the great US of A, this movie just says, you know what? I know it's easy to just harp on the bad times. And I know it's so obvious 
because there's so many egregious, disgusting things that happened in this country's history to just worry about those. But this movie's sort of like, hey, but you know what else? Like for the people that like were there living it, like there's a couple takeaways that we don't want you to forget that are often forgotten in a lot of um, uh, conversations and but also in a lot of movies, big popcorn movies that are sponsored by the government. But this one doesn't forget, which is like we have to work together. We have to work together to move forward and we have to take care of each other. You know, if that's stupid or saccharine or not true, DM Brett and bother him about it. Or Weekend Bergman's at Weekend Bergman's. I am not saying this movie should run for president, although I do think this this is the defining movie of the Joe Biden era. A movie about teamwork. If we all just gave it one more crack together, bipartisanship, if we just did a little bipartisanship, everything would be fucking hunky-dory. And he's got his aviators on. And this is the movie that Joe Biden projects himself into. And he thinks he's fucking Maverick. And maybe that's bad. Um, but we are still stuck here in the upside down when I came out of the theater. We, you know, we live in Top Gun Maverick and Joe Biden is the president, but we live in the upside down where everything's fucking horrendous. But in Top Gun Maverick, you could remember that, you know what, there's a couple little things before we rush to the future, which we're all very excited for. Don't forget the couple key things from the past. And by the way, while you're at it, do not forget the movies and how fun it is to feel your fucking body shake when the giant plane roars over your head. There is one criticism, though, and I want to use this as a transition to talk about our second portion of the double feature. There's a part when Maverick and Jennifer Connelly's character, they have sex. And that is portrayed as sort of like this movie is all sex. This whole thing is only about sex, right? It's Tom Cruise sex. It's like planes like going fast and, you know, what planes look like. And it's about, you know, uh, Miles Teller's body. It's about uh pal's body it's about bodies 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 they play like wet fucking football and toss the fucking pigskin around everyone's slapping each other and it's just like oh my god like you're completely and totally like it's just very sexual um until the sex part and this happens this happens all the time american movies I don't watch enough. I, I love foreign movies i watch all the famous ones that come across i don't watch like enough to say some blanket statement about them but like american movies have a sex problem. They're not se- like when it comes to like, yeah, like can we can we are there do hot people exist? Yeah. Do they get cast in movies? Yeah. And that's like about it. That's as far as we can like put the pieces together. Because when it comes to the part where you have to be sexy, is some people have it, some people don't. And we'll talk about crimes of the future. Dripping. We'll get there. We'll get there. The first Top Gun Maverick, Jennifer Connelly in this movie looks amazing. Jennifer Connelly could could bridge all the divides. Everybody, all, all women, children, uh, all ages from from sea to signing sea. We can all agree. Big yes to Jennifer Connelly and Top Gun Maverick. Yes, yes, yes. And Tom Cruise and Top Gun Maverick. You know, whatever. If you, you know, he's he's a, you know he's Tom Cruise. Who knows if he's good looking or not good looking? He's part of our of our of our eyelids. He's he's in in my brain. He's I don't know what he you know. But Jennifer Connelly is beautiful and gorgeous. And Tom Cruise looks looks like he worked out a lot and is ready to rock and roll for another film. He's an athlete. And they come to the sex scene and they kind of like lay down. They like look at each other, which is great. That's fine. But then it sort of like pans up and then he kind of gets on top of her and like, you know, the camera's like kind of close to them. And 
for the first time in the whole film, it's like you just for the first time you're like, no, no, no. And then the camera sort of just like, you know, kind of like, I don't know, does it pan up or is it like fade out? Or like, that's it. Like, this movie is the most like moxie in your face, Mach 11 fucking fuck you, Tom Cruise, go, go, go sex party. And then in America, when we get to the sex part, we like snuggle, lay on top of each other and cut away. And it's complete until he, they, they should be, they should be pounding each other. In this film, they should be sweating. They should be just like noise, just as noisy as the fucking planes flying over my head, just smacking and clapping and 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 what, whatever else needs to happen to equal the the turboness of of the um uh, of the whole thing. Or okay, I get I'm being silly. Like for real though, like foreplay, it can be as hot as sex. I insist until I, my wife, I insist, I insist. This this could be this is it. This is better in some so a lot of respects, right? Um. No, but seriously, foreplay can be so hot and titillating and sexual and da 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 Nothing. When it comes to sex in movies, they just fucking don't get it. On Friday night, before I went to go see my movie, my double features, not to do a tangent, but this is sort of your little, your little, uh, little break. You know, this is like, you know, a little sorbet in between your entrees. I watched um, X, the horror film, on Friday night, which is about people making a porn movie and they, you know, go to a farm and Texas Chainsaw Massacre happens to them. But instead of Leatherface, it's like old people. And the movie uh, absolutely stinks. And if you uh, disagree, again, DM Brett and, and, you know, I don't know how you could reach me. But the movie stinks. So it's about porn. The actors are all beautiful because that's the easy part. Everyone gets that part. The actors are all beautiful. They like have sex. They like make sex noises. There's like, boobs and dicks and abs and hair and <sighs> not sexy folks are the people beautiful yeah but beautiful people does not sexiness make there's a problem with sex there's a problem we have a fucking the sex problem we're so afraid of like turning people on and the movie was the x insisted it was turning you on the entire time um it wasn't Moving on to a movie, though, that two interesting parallels. And this is what's beautiful about the double feature. You get to draw these fun parallels between, between these two films. Cronenberg's uh, back. You know who Cronenberg is. Videodrome, Scanners, Eastern Promises, the History of Violence, Crash. You know, Cronenberg. Cronenberg's back with a banger. This is his, like, sexy, weird little minor masterpiece called Crimes of the Future. Um, in this film, Cronenberg, you know, it's Cronenberg. So he's worried about the same three picadillos he's been worried about since he started making movies 10,000 years ago. He's worried about sex, and he's worried about art, and he's worried about how art affects everybody's bodies. And Crimes is like a great one. I immediately went home and I watched Videodrome again to see the parallels and how he changed. Um, and though you can see the maturation in Cronenberg in like that that wonderful way that directors mature when all of the they, they just they distill all the beautiful things that we loved about them in the beginning, but they sort of strip out some of the chaos, some of the um, fanfare, and they really are more patient and they're willing to just kind of they understand that like 
you know, Videodrome's a great film. Videodrome does seven things. And in Crimes of the Future, Cronenberg's like, you know, he's old, man. He gets it. He's like, I'm just I'm going to do two things. I'm just going to do two things. And I'm just going to like focus on them and just ruminate. So what is this movie about? This movie is about a Vigo. I don't know character names. Stop asking me. I'm just going to tell the actors' names. The character names? Who, who cares? Vigo Mortensen and Lea Sado. So what you're saying right now is sexy, and what I say, that's correct. Vigo Mortensen and Lea Sado. Ooh la la. Vigo and Lea. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my God, really? Yes, fucker, go see the goddamn movie. Wait till I tell you who the third actor is. Oh, there. Yeah, she's already up there. And we'll get to Kristen, my favorite living actor, in, in a moment. But um, Cronenberg, oh, pairs Vigo with, with Leia. Um, and what, what do they do? So this is the future or, you know, the, the future. And they're performance artists because humans have started to evolve and they are growing errant organs. They're growing extra organs inside of them. Um, and the government, this is becoming so prevalent that the government and the people are sort of thinking about like cataloging it or sort of getting serious about it. But they're sort of like, yeah, there's like X-Men and they're sort of, you know, held at a distance. What Vigo does is he is a performance artist who grows organs, new, original organs inside of himself at great physical an emotional cost, and then Lea Seydoux, in a performance environment, cuts him open and surgically removes the organs and displays the organs, and that's their act. I mean, like, doesn't that fucking rule? I mean, how cool is that? So Cronenberg's on one. Yes, the old master, he is alive, folks, and he has some things to say. So Vigo wills these organs into existence, and he is, like, physically rattled by this. Um, but the future is coming. The movie opens with a young boy who sits on the ground, eats a plastic trash can, and his mother murders him in the night. Um, we learn later on that the man who, his father, is sort of making plastic bars, essentially, that people that have these specific evolutions can digest food. Vigo Mortensen, what, what regular people are doing without these plastic bars, which aren't on the market yet, which nobody knows about yet, what people have to do is they sit in these bone chairs. It's like a big, thin, it's like a big spine. They, like, sit in it. It like clacks and Cronenberg has this movie's fucking vile, by the way. We'll talk about how sexy it is, but it's Cronenberg. It's disgusting. It's like clicking, clack, teeth, like gnashing, gnawing sounds. And they sit in the chair and they their bodies inhumanly sort of like vibrate and like rattle as they try to get the jelly down their throats. And that's sort of how Cronenberg eats with these like disgusting jellies and can barely get them down his like unmoved throat. And he sleeps in a big, like <laughs> big, like disgusting ass chair. You can see it if you're watching on plus, you can see it or you can just Google it. Like he's sitting in like a big disgusting chair, which is, you know, like a heart or like a placenta or fucking whatever. And it has these, and it's a, a he sleeps in this alive chair. 
that has these alive arms and tentacles and Leia Sado like lays them in it and they, he puts like weird little hands that glue to his body and he sleeps and shakes and writhes in this sort of growth chamber to recover from his surgeries and the pain of growing more organs. And then he sits in his weird little bone chair after the heart bed and just sort of shakes down jellies and such. <laughs> Man, it's, it's, it's great. Kristen Stewart. Um, and a great actor who I'm blanking on. This is a crime. I, folks, this is my first double feature. I will have every actor's name and character name next double feature. Uh, Kristen Stewart's scene partner is a wonderful actor who you've seen around. I hope to have him on Household Faces, an amazing Forever Dog podcast hosted by John Ross Bowie. Check it out. Um, they play two people who are very in the organ growing scene and their office's sort of job is to find these organs and catalog them. Of course, these performance artists that have these underground performances are of great interest to them. And Kristen Stewart plays like a vile little fangirl of Viggo Mortensen's character. Kristen Stewart, folks, she's on a run. She is just shot out of a cannon, this one. She is the best actor in Hollywood, and I will see anything that she is in. And in Crimes of the Future, she gives a bizarre performance that's so fun, where she has this twitchy little affect, where everything is hyper-pronounced, where she's scared and sexual and, and, and terrified and obsessed and wants to be in on the act. She wants Leia Sadu's job to cut Vigo open and surgically remove him. She's the ultimate fan. She knows everything about Vigo. And she says in the film, as sort of like the idea here, one of you know the most Cronenbergy ideas of them all, she's like, uh, you know, surgery is the new sex, right? And that's what kind of the film is driving at. Because what we haven't talked about yet is the uh, sexiness of the surgeries in this film. Now people, so let's talk about this for one second. You know, people ran out of cans because this movie's so disgusting, right? It's one of those, like, it's so vile. They perform an autopsy on like a child in it and he has a bunch of disgusting fake organs in him and it's vile. And there's a lot of like cutting and stuff. In Crimes of the Future, this is like, this is, this is the game. He's just gonna fucking cut Leia Seydoux and you're going to fucking be like, why am I getting turned on? Please stop, Cronenberg. Please, please, please. And that's what the whole entire film's about. There's, or that's one of the major themes of this film. There's a scene where Leia naked climbs into the weird heart bed with Vigo and the machines like cut them while they like spoon and, you know, surgery is the new sex. And here's what's fucked up. The scene's disgusting, but it's also... 50 to 100 times hotter than the Jennifer Connelly, Tom Cruise sex scene in Top Gun Maverick. And it's a thousand times hotter than than X, which is a boring, mediocre horror film. Cronenberg um, understands something about American sexuality that I don't. And he toys with me and all of us uh, in his films. The other thing. So this movie to me, it was very much about Cronenberg saying, my God, I, it takes all of me to give you my heart, my organs, to give you my art. It takes will. Like Cronenberg's like, I'm in the fucking heart bed. 
I am, I'm, I'm getting bounced around in the bone chair and I'm producing for you these unique one of a kind works, my organs, my insides, I am spilling them for you. I can't eat. I can't sleep. I am uh, emaciated. I am dying. And at the end, you know, finally, after the bone chair is just not working and he cannot get his jelly down, Vigo eats one of the plastic blocks and it goes down just fine. I ate a plastic block this weekend too, Cronenberg. It was called Top Gun Maverick and it went down just fine. I think Cronenberg's always like, hey, our media diets are changing who we are. Our media diets are literally are evolving us. It's what he talks about in Videodrome. It's what he talks about in Crimes of the Future. Because I'm afraid he might be right. Microplastics are in our fucking food. We eat plastic all day long. And in our media, I don't know about you, but I've acquired a taste for it. And I think even Cronenberg's saying, you know what, I might have acquired a taste for it a bit too. What does that mean about who we're going to be and where we're going? But wherever we end up, I think it's important to remember teamwork. And that's why I like Top Gun Maverick. So, folks, Trash Cannon, Cannon, it's decision time. Both great films. Which film did I like more? Which film was better? Both films were really good. I'll tell you what, when I came out of Top Gun Maverick, I think me talking about it, you know, makes it not, you know, I, I've now talked about it. So it's not as good. But if you go to the theater and you see it, you'll you'll know the energy with which, you know, do you remember, maybe if you folks are my age, remember when you came out of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man and your whole body was tingling and you wanted to shoot from building to building and you were like, fuck yeah, the movies, fuck yes, finally, a fucking movie, Jesus. That's what it was like. It was like that kind of, you, I walked out of the theater and I was like, yes, yes, a big fucking movie with the fucking planes and the guns and the bodies and everyone cheers in his teamwork and cries at the end, right? And Val Kilmer's in it. A movie. And it felt good. It felt good. It is a dark, it is a dark, drab world. It is fucking horrible world. And, you know, and Cronenberg, you know, Tom Cruise wants to hide it and Tom Cruise wants to say, but, but remember the good things. And I really love that about that movie. And Cronenberg's never, that's not been his game. Cronenberg's whole thing is this world is disgusting and horrible, but you know, I don't know. We could have weird sex or something. So, um, but cr crimes was really good. Crimes was tight. Crimes was short and crimes was odd. It had, gave me really nice Vigo. Lea Seydoux, as always, is wonderful. And Kristen Stewart really knocks it out of the park. But so does Teller. Neither of these films belong in the trash cannon. Both these films belong on your list. X belongs in the trash cannon. I'll put it right there just for fun. Hey, Brett, I'm putting X in the trash cannon. It stinks. All right, folks, it's time. I've been hemming and hawing. One thing I've learned on Bergman's is like sometimes I make these de these these decisions and then I'm like, oh no, this happened with Red Shoes, Red Shoes versus Die Hard and Die Hard or I forget, but Red Shoes I didn't vote for. Oh, I voted for Showgirls, but.
But ever since Red Shoes, I've been just like thinking about Red Shoes, and I realized if I could go back and vote, I'd pick Showgirls, or I'd pick Red Shoes. Luckily, fans, you saved me. We did put uh, Showgirls, which is an, an A, in the, the trash cannon, but, but Red Shoes was better, and I did like it more than Showgirls, and the fans were right. Thank you, fans. I'd love to kick this to the fans, but I feel like in the spirit of these two films, a courageous uh, film by Cronenberg and a film about courage by, by Cruz Bruckheimer, which film did I actually like better? I think I like Top Gun Maverick better. I think it was better, and I, I think I liked it more. Um, and maybe it was just because when I, when I went to Top Gun Maverick, I came out and I felt great. And when I left Crimes of the Future, I was like, that didn't feel good at all, except about Kristen Stewart, who I love. And she's great, and I, w I can't wait to see her in everything. Did you see Spencer? It's great. Why? Because Kristen Stewart's in it. I'm going to put Top Gun Maverick in the canon. Whatever. And, you know, now it's like two weeks later. So if I did this podcast two weeks ago, everyone would be like, yeah. Uh -huh, uh -huh. But now two weeks pass, so everyone's going to be like, well, I don't know. Because that's how it always goes. And everyone's really excited about something. Too many people are excited about it. Then there's some people who are like, but you know this and you know that. You know about the military. But I'm just got to be honest. That's what Weekend at Bergman's is all about. And if Brett was here, he'd remind me. Just be honest. I love crimes. It's not my favorite Cronenberg. It's awesome. Um, it's probably, but 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 Tom Cruise makes a damn makes a movie too. It's not like Tom Cruise is just some fucking guy, and I'm just pulling trigger on you know Godzilla vs Kong. This isn't just like Jack Reacher. This movie is doing some things. This is like a kind of a bookend on on major blockbusters, or is it a reinvention? I don't know. But Top Gun Maverick has a place in the canon. I'm sure Crimes does too, but that's not how this show works, baby. Right into the trash cannon. So folks, I really appreciate you coming to the double feature with me. I hope we can do a double feature again soon. Follow us at Weekend Bergman's. Uh, check out Forever Dog. Check out Forever Dog dot plus to get uh, this show and all of our shows uh, ad free. Get some sweet ass videos of some of your favorite podcasts. Love you all. Love movies. Can't wait to talk about them with you more. And uh, see you uh, next week at Weekend at Bergman's. Thank you. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.